This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. All right, come with me, please, to the Word of God this morning, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. Gospel of Matthew, ninth chapter. Chapter 9 of Matthew, verse 1. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk. But that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. And when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power unto men. Jesus was a tremendous encourager. He often spoke words of hope and of comfort, words that uplifted words that strengthened, words that inspired, words that revived. And there were some words that he was fond of using uh, more than once. Uh, There was things he said to different people in different situations at different times for a different purpose. Uh, For example, uh, three times it's recorded that what we would say is he said grace. He took bread, he blessed it prayed, and then he broke it. And he did the same thing three times, same words, but for an entirely different purpose and reason. And here again in Scripture, it is recorded for us four times that Jesus spoke these beautiful, encouraging, comforting words of hope. Be of good cheer. Now, when the Son of God says, be of good cheer... That implies all is well. Don't fret. Don't be anxious. Do not worry. Be of good cheer. I can handle this. I've got this under control. It's in my hands. That's what that implies. Be of good cheer. And so it's wonderful when a fellow human being, somebody, a family member or a friend or somebody, when you're going through a difficult time and they come to you and they're not saying chin up, but they're saying, look, you're going to get through this. We'll get through this together. We're praying for you. We're making sure that we're with you in this. We want to encourage you. But when the Son of God comes, who has all power, who has all ability, who can do anything, When he says to you, be of good cheer, then you can be greatly encouraged by that. 
first time it speaks of man's forgiveness. Jesus used this opportunity of healing this paralyzed man, not just to demonstrate his power over sickness, but his power over sin. Notice that men only saw a sick body, but Jesus saw beyond that, he saw a sick soul. And the very first thing he said to this man was, your sins are forgiven you. Nobody, nobody imagined that Jesus would say something like that. They might have thought he would have said, be healed. He certainly said, be of good cheer. But to say your sins are forgiven you. Now, there was a purpose in that, of course. You have to understand that the Jewish mindset was that if you were sick, sin was the cause. You remember the story of Job and all that Job was going through and those comforters so-called came to him and basically what they were saying to him was the reason why you're going through this, the reason why all these things has happened to you is because there's hidden sin in your life and God is exposing you and punishing you. And so the, the feeling was that if you were sick, sin was the cause. You remember those who said to Jesus about the man born blind, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Because that was the mentality. And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents. Not that he means they never actually sinned, but that wasn't the cause of this man's blindness. Neither this man or his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest. I must work the works of him who sent me. And then, of course, there was that time when Jesus said to the, to the crippled man, and he healed him, and then he says, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. So, for sure, sin sometimes can be the cause of our ills and our sicknesses. For sure, and diseases. We know there's lots of diseases in the world today that men are suffering because of sin. But not all of the time. But that was the mindset. So, and Jesus wanted to hit this on the head, as it were. And so, in their thinking, they see this man tragically sick, <laughs> permanently sick. He was paralytic, feeling, well, his sins must have caused this at some point, somehow. And for him to be healed, then the sin question had to be dealt with. But then they also believed but who can forgive sins but God alone? In fact, in the other two Gospels, Mark and Luke, with this story, the same story is written. This, by the way, is the story, remember they broke up the, the roof and they lowered the man down. This is the same story. In the other two Gospels, it says, and, and that's true, who can, for sin, who can forgive sins but God alone? So when Jesus said to this man, your sins are forgiven you, you can imagine, he knew exactly what they were thinking. In fact, he was saying to them, I am God. I am God. I have the power to do this. And then, to make it plainer to them, he says, well, what's the easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or take up your bed and walk? But so that you know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins... He said to the man, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. 
sin robs us of our joy, of our cheer, of our comfort, of our hope, of our confidence, of our future. In Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, uh, it's really David's psalm of repentance. You, you remember David sinned terribly, grossly with Bathsheba. And uh, he hid that for about a year until Nathan the prophet came to him and exposed his sin. And, and by the way, Nathan was a, a great friend of David and he was a great prophet and Bathsheba went on to have four sons to David and David actually called one on Nathan and probably nobody better to go to David and, and to and expose his sin than his closest friend and his confidant and if you read those Psalms in Psalm 51 and verse 12 one of the things David cried was restore unto me the joy of your salvation sin had robbed him of his joy and his peace and his confidence, even though he hid it. But if you read the Psalms, inside he was torn up about it because uh, he was a sensitive man and he realized what he had done. But who hasn't, who among us hasn't at some point tried to hide our sin? Hmm? If all of us got clean hands when it comes to that, but much better if we hold our hands up and own up John Phillips said, although David was one of the greatest saints of Scripture, and he was one of the greatest sages of Scripture, and he was one of the greatest sovereigns of Scripture, he was also one of the greatest sinners in Scripture. And he really was. And although David would suffer the consequences of that sin with Bathsheba for the rest of his life, the sword never left his house for the rest of his life. But because he truly repented, he was truly forgiven and he got the joy of the Lord back again. It was restored to him. As a child of God today, to know that he has completely and utterly and entirely forgiven you all of your sins, <laughs> that's reason to be cheerful, isn't it? Amen. Imagine if your husband or your wife or your mother, your father, your brother or sister, imagine if everything you ever did wrong to them or said to them or messed up, imagine if they kept that against you for the rest of your life. How in the world could you live like that? You couldn't. But God could have held every sin against us, but he chose through his son to forgive us. And he... <coughs> He separated our sins, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. He forgave us completely. I will remember your sins no more against you forever. Thank God. Amen. Amen. And so we have reason to be cheerful. Uh, I love that old verse in Lamentations. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. It's through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Hallelujah. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. Glory to God. And so the first time Jesus spoke these words, be of good cheer, it was in relation to man's forgiveness. The second time in relation 
to man's fear. In relation to man's fear. In Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat, go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when the evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. All kinds of fears afflict us. Now, there's a good fear. There's a healthy fear. The fear of not wanting to walk into oncoming traffic. If you're a swimmer and you know there's strong currents and there's riptides, the fear of not going near those things. So there's good fears. The fear of fire, making sure you're not going to touch it. There's all kinds of healthy, good fears that protect us from danger and stupidity. But then there's abnormal fears, fears that cripple us, that hinder us, that diminish us. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. And so there's fears that reduce us and prevent us from going forward and diminish us. And then there are irrational fears, phobias, fear of enclosed spaces. Some of you wouldn't go down that left if I paid you. And there's no reason, there's no logical reason why you shouldn't. But for some reason or other, you're afraid to do that. I'm not putting you down by saying that, but it's just a fact. Some of you big grown men in here, you're afraid of, spider, afraid of spiders, aren't you? If a spider come in the room, you'd want your wife to take it out. <laughs> There's no logic to that. It's irrational. Tiny little spider, great big man. But you hate those things, and you're afraid of them. There's all kinds of fears. Fear of open spaces. Fear of the dark. Fear of water. And then there's tormenting fears. Fears that would give you nightmares. Fears that would cause your stomach to be churning. Fears that would cause you to lose much sleep. I was telling somebody in another context just last week, strangely enough, when I was a little boy, I, I don't know what age I was, maybe probably <coughs> seven, eight, nine, something like that. I started to take nightmares. And my mother said that I, I would scream in the middle of the night and she would run up the stairs and I was drenched in sweat and I had clumps of hair in my hands. I was pulling my hair out. I was so frightened. I was absolutely terrified. The man of God, by the way, came and prayed for me and that fear left me and never come back. Thank God. But fears of all kinds afflict us. Fear actually is the consequence of sin, man's sin, man in his fallen state. 
Remember when Adam fell in the garden and the Lord God came looking for him and said, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I was afraid. The first words he said after he sinned was, I was afraid because I was naked and I ran and hid myself. I was afraid. A man has been afraid ever since. The disciples here thought that they saw a ghost. All those old ghost stories that they had grown up with from their parents, all those old fisher folk tales, suddenly in this storm and in the dark with the wind howling and the rain lashing, and they saw this specter coming out of the gloom and the darkness. And you can imagine these were big, grown, hardy men in their prime of life. But when they saw this, suddenly they were absolutely terrified. Fear had gripped them. And the first thing Jesus says was, it is I, do not be afraid. Be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. Be of good cheer. Try to encourage them and to allay their fears. And sometimes we need to hear that voice saying to us in our scary moments, in our difficult, tormenting times, we need to hear that voice saying, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. Jairus came to Jesus because his little daughter was at the point of death. Will you come and heal? Jesus says, yes. You remember how they were interrupted by the little woman with the issue of blood, but eventually they got there, but seemed to be too late. One of the mourners came out and said, do not trouble the master any further. The damsel is dead. And Jesus looked at Jairus and he said, do not be afraid only believe. He must have saw that fear in his eyes. When Jairus got that news, that fear rose up in his spirit. And it was evident. I'm sure it was evident for everybody to see. And the first thing Jesus said was, don't be afraid. Only believe. In other words, I've got this under control. Don't be worried. Don't be afraid. I can handle this for you. What an encouragement whenever the Lord speaks into your fears and says, be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. It is me. I'm with you. The third time, spoke of man's frailty in John 16, 33, Jesus speaking said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the word you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Hallelujah. Jesus was about to leave his disciples. He knew that his time had come. He was going to have to die on that cross and go back to the Father. And he warned his disciples that 
when he would go, there would be weeping, there would be persecution, there would be tribulation, there would be even death. It was coming their way. The shepherd was smitten, the sheep would be scattered. He himself knew what the world could do and what the evil one would do. He had been through all of that and he could see Peter crumbling and falling and being a coward. He could see Judas betraying him. He could see those multitudes that he had healed and blessed and fed all running and deserting him. He could see even his disciples scattering. And so he warned them, in the world you shall have tribulation. Fellas, it's coming, and it's coming your way. But thank God he left them a word of comfort and a word of hope. He says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Glory to God. John would write later, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we need to remember that because the world has a way at times of wanting to overwhelm us but the greater one lives inside us. And the one who said, I have overcome the world, he lives by his spirit inside each of us believers. When the world wants to causes all kinds of pain and afflict us or persecute us or lie against us or put us down. Jesus says, be of good cheer. I've overcome all of that because that's what they did with him, didn't they? There's nothing going to happen to us that hasn't already happened to him. And he overcome all of it. All that the world threw at him, all that the enemy planned against him, he overcome all overcame all of that and he says to us today be of good cheer because I've overcome the world in other words that's in plan you can overcome it too that's why John says greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world and John of course was an old man <laughs> the last standing survivor of all of the apostles and disciples he had seen it all he had been exiled he knew what it was like but he says, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. So what are you facing today? What are you going through? What has the world threw at you this past week? Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And then the fourth time, spoke of man's future. In Acts 23, verse 11, it said, But the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Paul was under arrest in Jerusalem. More than 40 men had banded together and vowed that they were going to kill the Apostle Paul. He was in a very difficult situation. <clears throat> Forty men out to kill him, intent on murder, and he knew it. He was told it. It was a difficult situation. 
His itinerant ministry was ended. There would be no more visiting the churches and the missions that he had raised up. What was to become of this old warrior? Would these conspirators, would they have their way? Would they put him to death? And Jesus says, no. Paul, be of good cheer. cheer. You've testified of me in Jerusalem. You're going to testify of me in Rome. Remember, Paul had appealed unto Caesar, and unto Caesar he would go. Now, sometimes I think we could be forgiven to, because Paul was such a man of great spiritual stature, a spiritual giant among men. Two-thirds of the New Testament are attributable to his pen alone. Uh, he was the, I suppose, the greatest missionary apostle ever lived, a man who forged uh, uh, the gospel into other nations, the man who made three great missionary journeys, raised up churches, a wonderful man. And you would think that such a man perhaps was invincible in, in every way. You would think that he was that he was unfeeling. Uh, you would think that he was so super spiritual that he never felt the pressure of life. But that's not really true. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, Note this, so that we even despaired of life. <laughs> we have the sentence of death in ourselves. We even despaired of life. That's how bad things were. When he felt my life is over, it's ended, it's gone. But the Lord comes to him at a very difficult moment. And he says, be of good cheer because I have one more thing for you to do. Our times are in God's hands today. Our times are in God's hands. Now, he was in the Philippian jail at one point. <laughs> he had been beaten, Paul and Silas, thrown into that jail but the Lord didn't need to encourage him with good cheer because he had good cheer at that time. In fact, in spite of the beatings, in spite of being in jail, at midnight at the darkest hour, they had a prayer time and a worship time and they praised God. So he was already cheerful in spite of it. But in this situation, he wasn't so cheerful. Why? Because he's just a man at the end of it. Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. And so no matter how super spiritual a man may be, a woman may be, they're going to have their moments when they need encouraged. Our times are in God's hands. And God had a time for this man. And he would go to Rome. And even in Acts 27 and 28, when you, when you read his journey to Rome and that great ship with a with tremendous storm that arose, 
and how even at that point he, he warned the, the captain and the centurion, he warned him, do not take this journey for I perceive that it will be with much hurt not only of the ship but also of our lives. He felt we're going to lose our lives in this ship. Now here was the man that the Lord had said, be of good cheer. I'm going to make sure you get to Rome. But on that arduous, hazardous journey, being a man just like anybody else, he felt, we're going to lose our lives here. This ship is going to be hit the rocks and we're all going to drown. That's how he felt until, until he fasted and he prayed. And the Lord says, no, everything's going to be all right. Yes, the ship will be destroyed, but not one will lose their lives. And that's when he rose up and he told everybody, he says, listen, start to eat. We're going to be okay. We're all going to make it. The Lord has spoken to me. Let me assure you. In other words, be cheerful. We're going to make it. We're not going to lose our lives. Nobody's going to lose their life in this boat. That's what he was saying. Why? Because the Lord's told me. Our times are in God's hands. Peter, he's been arrested for the third time. This is his third trip to prison. He'd been released the other two times. Well, this time is a bit different because Herod had killed James, the brother of John, with the sword and proceeded to kill Peter also. And so he knew that James had got his head cut off. He knew that he was under a death sentence, that tomorrow his head was going to be cut off. That's what it seemed like. That's what the death sentence was. It had already happened the day before. James, a godly man, already had died a martyr's death. But here's Peter, and he's in jail. And he's guarded by 16 soldiers, four quaternions of soldiers, four at a time, two outside the door, one either side chained to him. No chance of escape. Herod is making sure that he has prized possession. The great apostle Peter, his head was going to fall the next day. And what's Peter doing? He's sleeping like a baby. <laughs> he's sound asleep. Now, can you imagine... If you knew that tomorrow you were going to be executed, if you knew that for sure, that somebody tomorrow was going to take your life, could you sleep in your bed tonight? I don't think so. Sometimes when you're going on holidays and you've got an early flight to get, you can already sleep in your bed at night. And that's a good thing. But Peter's sleeping like a baby. Why? How could he do that? I wonder, could it be, let me just point you to scripture. In John chapter 21, I think this is the answer really. John chapter 21, you remember how Jesus uh, met with Peter that morning on the shore, took him aside and said, three times, Peter, do you love me? And then feed my sheep and feed my lambs. 
And then in verse 18 of John 21, he said after that, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. But when you are old, you're going to die for me. He wasn't old yet. <laughs> he wasn't old yet. And I believe he remembered that conversation with the Lord. And no matter what Herod said, no matter what the devil planned, no matter what plot was afoot, even though James had been killed the day before, but our times are in his hand, and it wasn't Peter's time. And I believe he knew that because he wasn't old at this point. He was in his prime. He was a young man. Remember, all those disciples were young men that Jesus chose. Jesus was possibly the oldest among them. So he knew it wasn't his time. And so he lay down that night. He put his head on the straw, and he fell asleep, and he slept the sleep of the righteous. <laughs> there was a prayer meeting going on anyway for him, wasn't there? Whether he knew that, I'm not, I think he probably did know that because after he got out, he went to that house. But he was sleeping. And the angel came and had to slap him on the side to waken him up. That's how well he was sleeping. <laughs> I wish I could sleep as well as that. I wish I could sleep as well as Sally would have to slap me to wake me up. I think with sparrow lights in my roof, I wake up. Romans 12 and 2 talks about the good and the perfect and the acceptable will of God. Paul, be of good cheer, speaks of man's future. Have you good cheer about your future today? If you know that it's in God's hands, if you know that your times are in his hands, then that's reason to be cheerful. Not to worry or fret about it. Say, Lord, my times are in your hands. Your perfect will be done in my life, come what may. I trust you, I believe in you, and your will will be done for my future. And when you do that, it helps you to feel secure and more restful and more at peace because you're trusting his plan for you to be fulfilled. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So even though today you may have come in here and you're feeling downcast, in life stuff happens. Sometimes we're ready for it, sometimes we're not ready for it. Sometimes we see it coming, other times we hadn't a clue. It just happened. What are we to do? We're going to put our trust in the one who said, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. My plan for you is still working. He hasn't backed off, hasn't forgotten you, hasn't given up. He's working all things 
after the counsel of his own will. And all things work together for good to those that love God, for those who are called according to his purposes. Lord, today we thank you. We thank you that your eye is over the righteous, your ear is open to our cry. We bless you, Lord, that your plans for us are good and not for evil to give us a hope and a future. We thank you, Lord, you're ready in our tomorrows. You're not stuck in time like us. You're the God of eternity. And we bless you, Lord, that you're leading us and guiding us. So thank you, Lord, when we wake up tomorrow morning, you're ready in our tomorrows. You're ready there before we waken to guide us and lead us, to bless us, to protect us. And so we give you thanks today. You've given us reasons to be cheerful in spite of what this world has done or is doing. In spite of the plots and plans of the evil one, we thank you, Lord, that we can be cheerful. So we bless you for these things, thanking you for the inspiration of your holy word. Thank you, Lord, it inspires us, it encourages and strengthens us and gives us confidence. So we bless you for it in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.